Hi, welcome to Season 2 of the Silverline Podcast, an audio version of our video streams that we hold weekly. They're edited a little bit to make them a little more concise. My name is Roland Mann. I'm the head honcho at Silverline, and we have a great time making fun comics that we think that you'll enjoy. So thank you for listening, and maybe go check out some of our comics if you haven't already. Creating Beyond Calculation, Beyond Politics, and Beyond the Big Two, welcome Silverliners to Wednesday Wham! We've got a great show for you tonight. We've got a full house. I'm joined by the Empress of the Inks, Barbara Kalberg, the Paragon of Pencils, Rob Davis. We've got uh, both Wizards of Wordplay tonight. We've got Scott Wayfield and Rory Boyle. Glad and we've got, uh, yeah, yeah, believe it or not, and, and we have uh, uh, a, a really a, a non-regular that, that I'm glad is here tonight. We have John Martin, uh, the, the Viking King, also known as Hawkman every now and then. King of the Hawkman, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, we have our fearless leader, head honcho and chief bottle washer, Mr. Roland Mann. Welcome, sir. Glad you're here. You. And last but not least, of course, our special guest, Steve Englehart, bona fide comic book legend. Welcome, Steve. Welcome. We're glad to have you tonight. I uh, see you guys. I see you guys have a title called Trumps. Yes, we do indeed. I don't. I don't know if you know this story or not, but after Joe Staten and I did Millennium in 1986, the follow-up was going to be called Trumps. It was called. <laughs> it was called New Guardians. In the end, oh. but. but it was wow. going to be called Trump's, wow. and Jeanette okay. Kahn said, "Nope, Donald Trump would be upset if he did." <laughs> <laughs> he was he was only a big wheel in New York at that time. But I I see. Wow. See. wow, big enough to wow. get her to back off. So. <laughs> well, Steve, uh, I, bring him on, bring on. You're. Uh, <laughs> Your reputation precedes you. I was fortunate enough to be able to work with you in the early 90s on a book called The Nightman. Roland was my editor at the time. And uh, we had a fantastic time on that project. It was uh, short-lived but fun while it lasted. But uh, for those who may not know, I will throw out a few titles that you've worked on over the years. Uh, Some of the most signature story arcs in the 70s and my personal favorites in the avengers dr strange defenders batman justice league just you know small stuff nothing (laughs) um so you know we've got we've got so much to to get started on but i want i want roland to get us started here as uh uh because i wouldn't even be here without without roland he uh, gave me my first big break in uh, full color superhero comics way back in the early 90s and I'd like to know how, you know, how you and Roland got together to uh, to work on Nightman. I think that'd be a great place to start. Uh, Ro- Roland, how did that happen? So I, I don't know. If, do you remember it, Steve? Well, I, was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know I do, but do you? It was it was um, um, Chris Allman and, and yes. um, Mason. Mason, Tom Mason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one other guy, I don't remember, but it was the, the guys I think who were higher than, than Roland yeah. who yeah. first, you know, came and asked me to work at Malibu. Yeah. And then when I worked at Malibu, I got editors and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was, was uh, Roland, you know, 
Yeah, it was <laughs> crystal, so to me. It was just we, we just got a sign to work together. I don't recall anything sexier than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was Chris Olm because uh, Chris Olm and I were both obviously fans of your work, and uh, and we talked about it a lot. Now I was still wrapping up when the Ultraverse launched. I was still wrapping up the protectors. So there was Protectors, Dinosaurs for Hire, Executants. There was a, a line of other titles that were still finishing. So I was still wrapping up those. So I didn't, I don't, I didn't come onto Nightman and Strangers until I, I think around issue four of both issues, uh, both titles, somewhere around in there. Um, but now I kind of got involved in some of the earlier things, like the the conferences and things like that, before yeah. I was actually an editor. Okay. Yeah. The, the conference is great. I mean, yes, yeah. Steve, I wanted to uh, also bring up the fact that one of my favorite aspects of your characters and your story arcs was the fact that you brought in mysticism and the supernatural. I mean, obviously, when you have a title like Doctor Strange, that's expected. But even in the other titles, uh, you had this fascinating character called Mantis. And she she had a mystical sense to her, even though she was a martial arts character. But even in uh, Shang-Chi, you, you always brought this cool aspect of there was there was a spiritual aspect, an intangible mysticism that revolved around the characters. Now, I know that, you know, when I was reading comics in that time period, that was heavily in the zeitgeist that was in the pop culture. Uh, mysticism, supernatural, and, and horror comics were a lot more popular then, and the gothic feel of that tone was more prevalent. But tell me a little bit about, uh, was that just something you, that comes naturally to you, or were you interested in, you know, the supernatural and mysticism and that sort of thing? Well, I imagine I was sort of headed in that direction because of comics, with, you know, all the right. stuff that you, I mean, even before just comics in general, you know, you're mm -hmm. sort of stretching the bounds of reality. Um, no, but it was when I when I started writing Doctor Strange in his own book. I had done him in The Defenders, where I had treated him mostly as like a superhero who does spells out of his palms rather than sure. light rays or whatever. Sure. Um, but when I started writing his own book, I thought this guy's the sorcerer supreme of Western magic. I really ought to know something about that. I, you know, right. I never had a problem doing research for, for characters. So I, I went down to a store in, in New York. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, Wiser's, but it was the big occult store. And I just went in. I said, I know nothing, but give me some stuff to start with. Where would I start, you know? And I found that I was interested in it as a thing in and of itself, you know? So um, I've been interested in, in magic, and the supernatural ever since Doctor Strange, but I, you know, but I wasn't particularly going in that direction beforehand. But that was right. that was a while ago now. So yes, I I used that what I you know what I got out of that in many other places. So when you when you would write the the outbursts of Doctor Strange, you know, obviously Stan had written you know by the hoary hosts of Hagoth and and all right. that sort of thing. Did you have fun like coming up with new ones? What like, yeah, just... well, I mean, I, I tended to use the old ones, too. I mean, you know, yeah. there was, you know, it's like if you want to draw Doctor Strange, you have to look at Ditko. I mean, that's oh, just, yeah. oh, you absolutely. just, you know, um, so if I'm going to write a character, I'm going to I'm going to take what we know about him and use him. 
But because I was sort of expanding the magical world that he was in, I did come up with other, you know, other spells and so forth uh, as as we went into unknown places. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I liked him as a character. I, I, I get this out of the way. I like pretty much all the characters that I wrote. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> oh, because, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, you you sit by yourself in a room if you're a writer and, and if you're not entertaining yourself day by day, you're, you're in the wrong business. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, um, any character I had, I, I tried to find out what it makes this guy, somebody in particular with Dr. Sure. That was easy. Sure. Uh, a lot of people may not know this about Steve, uh, but, he started out actually as an aspiring artist and actually you did some art uh, and worked yeah. with uh, one of my greatest influences, Neil Adams. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about, about how you, you, you broke in and got involved with some of those guys over there. Well, um, real quickly, I, I, when I was still in college, I, my college was a couple hours outside New York. And one day I just took off from classes and went to New York, and I went to Marvel and said, hi, you know, I'm a fan. And they kind of looked at me and go, yeah, well, we're a small company, and we don't have any, you know. This was this was like 66, so this was wow. before fandom, mm -hmm. before conventions. Sure. You know, I mean, you were so, a little fanboy. So mm -hmm. Marvel said, well, we love you, but we got, we can't, we don't, can't spare anybody to do anything. So then I went across town, I went to D.C., and they also were like, yeah, well, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk to Julie Schwartz? Sure. Twist my arm. So they sent yeah, me in, yeah. and Julie gave me a half hour of his time, and we talked. I just, wow. I'm sure I was just, you know, fanboying out on the whole thing. Um, and I and I love to tell this story because it'll never happen to anybody else, but uh, – when we got done, Julie said, well, there's a whole bunch of original art on the on the shelves right behind you. You can have some if you want. No way. Oh. Whoa. So I, yeah. got, I got Brave and Bold That's Justice League pages out of that. Oh, oh how wow. awesome. Wow. And I still have them. They're not oh, for sale. All that oh, any art that I picked up along the way is just part of my fan journey. You know, it's, people have asked, but no, not for sale. Um, wow. But anyway, so... I came out of talking to Julie and I just had this epiphany. It's like, these guys are not demigods. Mm. <laughs> They're just people yeah, doing, sure. you know, doing this yeah. job. So I could do this job. Um, so later on, after I got out of college and all that, um, I went to Neil, hunted him down at DC. He used to like work late at, at DC on Friday nights. He liked their light uh, box and, and projector. <laughs> and so forth um so i went i you know I, I just went up to him and i said when i you know at some point i'd really like to work with you and he said well how about now <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know i said oh well you know blah 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 but he was just the nicest guy neil neil was the nicest guy um uh you know by all accounts by many accounts wasn't always the nicest guy in later years, but but he was just he was just a wonderful guy and and took me on even though you know he could see that I was pretty rudimentary as an artist, but 
He wanted to give me a way into the business. He insisted that I get a credit on a story in Vampirella that he, you know, was doing the art on. But I mean, I helped on the art. But I mean, he insisted that his assistant get a credit so that I'd have a credit. So when I went out into the world, uh, I mean, he just, it was great. So, um, and also I'm sure I absorbed a lot of Neil's attitudes about comics, um, which were combative even then, you know, so, um, you know, some of my celebrated departures from companies are probably because of what I learned from, from Neil. Um, but, you know, I mean, so that then I was in the business. I had a credit, you know, I was doing art stuff. And, and I mean, to wrap this up, I mean, I eventually got a, a the lowest editorial job at Marvel. Um, Gary Friedrich had had it, but he went to New York or he went to Missouri, where he was from, for the summer and asked me to fill in. And they, Marvel, I think. I think it was 100 or 110 a week payment for this. Um, but there was 72, and, you know, that would take you a reasonable distance. But you could also get as much freelance work as you could handle. And so um, they started, you know, I, I ended up writing a script that Gary didn't want to write, and they liked it, and I liked writing it. And so then they started giving me more stuff, and then they liked that. So then they gave me more stuff, and then all of a sudden I was a writer and had no time for art after that. <laughs> so <clears throat> you transitioned, I think, from that artist to writer, but it wasn't directly into superheroes, was it? No. No, because Marvel still published romance books and Western books and, and mm -hmm. monster books <laughs> uh -huh. in those days. Uh, and so you that's where you could serve your apprenticeship to, you know, all right, now write stuff for publication, but not superheroes yet. You know? <laughs> not yet. Um, yeah. So that was kind of cool. And I, you know, yeah. I even drew some of the romance stories. You know, I was still oh, cool. a hybrid at that point. Um, wrote through whatever. Um, and eventually they said, OK, now you can have a superhero. So that's cool. Yeah. Do you still write uh, with the pseudonym Ann Spencer every now and then? Just to no, just to <laughs> just to, <laughs> that was a one-off. That, that uh, brings so up a question I'd like to ask. Sure, go ahead. Um, go. Can you tell me what was behind the pseudonyms John Harkness and Cliff Garnett? Um, I can tell you better about it. I will answer your question, but I mean Ann Spencer. My sister's name was Ann, and she married a guy from Spencer, Indiana. So that's where that, when I was writing romance books, that's where that came from. John Harkness yeah. is just a name. When I was in high school, we had a really boring history teacher. I'm not sure what the teacher was. Um, but we had to do a book report. And, you know, it, it speaks to my character, I suppose. But I decided I didn't want to write the book report. I wanted to make up a book report. So I... <laughs> Awesome. I, I wrote this book report about this imaginary book written by a guy named John Harkness. Um, oh no! Yeah. And, that, and that became that became my pseudonym. Um, and he bought off on it. The guy bought off on it. But I tried it a second time, and he was <laughs> not so much after that. Okay. And, and then the Cliff Garnett uh... thing. Um, I got contacted by I don't even remember what company it was, but one of the you know. They were going to start, it was a 
paperback house, and they were going to start a series to kind of go against. It's not the Punisher. What's the guy? There was some guy who was big in paperbacks, the Destroyer, or somebody who, you know, did a two hundred books about fighting sure. in Vietnam and whatever that sure. was. They wanted to they wanted to compete with that, so they got five different guys to write stories about these characters that they'd come up with, and the house name was Cliff Garnett. So um, That's that cool. was me doing the Cliff Garnett one. Doing one of the ones under Cliff. So there's five of you. There's five. Yeah, there were five. <laughs> there were five. <laughs> that is wrote, fascinating. I only wrote one of them. Um, that's old school, right? I mean, to get to get a house name and hire people to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ghostwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other. It, it seemed like a cool thing to take a shot at. I mean, I, it didn't. The series didn't take off, and that, I don't know that I would have wanted to. I don't think I would have wanted to do this on a regular basis, but it was kind of cool to write one of those things. Did you use mm -hmm. one John Harkness anymore? Yeah, John Harkness was in comics. Whenever, um, whenever I there would be something that I did that I didn't. It started out if I thought I just really didn't get it this time. I really didn't do up to my standards. I would say it was by John Harkness. Oh, you pawn um, it off. I see. <laughs> but, but later, but later, um, I mean, when I was leaving Marvel, and Marvel was was turning into a merchandising house rather than a rather than a comic book house, um, I used John Harkness for a while, and then I turned it into SFX Engelhart, which stood for sound effects because that's all I was. I couldn't do any real <laughs> stories anymore. I was just doing. You know, Sound. so <laughs> and it was interesting because I was I was really sort of like telling Mark yeah. what I thought about all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they let me get away with it. You know, I mean, so that was all right. Um, well, there's there, there's something I wanted to ask you. This is a this is a little known crossover story that a lot of people may not know about you. It's it's a it's a behind the scenes crossover that uh, you were involved in. It revolved around a, a Halloween parade right. that was uh, equally visited by creators from from the different companies. Tell us a little bit about that. I think that story is so cool. Well, Rutland, Vermont, had a Halloween parade to keep the kids from wandering around in the dark in Vermont, I guess. And and the guy who was in charge of it, Tom Fagan, was a big comic book fan, and so he kind of steered it toward Halloween costumes. And I think he probably wrote to the companies. I'm not real sure, but um, various people at the companies the first year was Neil and Denny O'Neill, uh, Al Weiss, I think Wrightson again. Um, they all went up to the thing and they came back and they said it was really a lot of fun. They really liked uh -huh. it. So uh -huh. the next year, um, us Johnny Come Lately's went and... <laughs> I went up there. I had a car, so I drove Jerry Conway and Len Wein and Len's wife at the time, Glennis Wein, um, and we had a wonderful time. It was, you know, it was fun. It was, it was. Um, again, this was seventy-two, maybe seventy-one. Even I'm not real sure, but I remember coming. There was a big party at Tom Fagan's house for the visiting people and everybody else who was invited. And I was upstairs for whatever reason. I came downstairs and walked into this hall ballroom or open room 
and there was everybody was in costume. This was before cosplay. This was, I mean, people didn't wear costumes to comic book shows if there even were any, which I guess Phil Suling started them in like 69 or something like that. But there still weren't very many shows. And you never, I mean, you didn't see a room full of people all in costume. I, that just blew my mind. That I was uh-huh. like, whoa. I, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, somewhere along that weekend, I said to Len and Jerry, well, we could do this thing. And I'm sure it's my idea just because it's like <laughs> weird. So I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think Len or Jerry would have, would have come up with it. Although I wouldn't swear to it if they, if they wanted to uh, claim it. But um, the idea was let's do this crossover. The three of us write books. Let's do this thing where they all go to this Rutland Halloween parade. And Jerry was writing Thor. Uh, and I was doing the beast. But that was, I might have been doing other stuff. By then, I think I would have been doing other stuff in Marvel, but I was doing The Beast. And Len was doing the Justice League, which was a whole different company. Um, But we all said, yeah, let's do that. And so those three stories, we could never announce it officially. But I mean, Steve and Len and Jerry and Glennis and my my Mustang... Awesome. through all three of those stories and if you put them in the right order you can sort of see us get involved in one story and then walk out and then walk into the next story and get involved in it and walk out and walk into the next story and walk out again um and it you know so that's great. I, it had yeah, that's cool. of, of that's fun it that's, was, that's I mean, awesome see, that's that's I love that kind of, I mean I was the new guy on the block it wasn't like I'd been around for 30 years and had done this ever before but um, you know, we all got caricatured by Marie Severin at Marvel, and we all got caricatured by Dick <laughs> Dillon over at, at DC, and that was cool to get you know, yeah. to see all that stuff. Um, but let's say comics were always fun for me. I was always looking for what would be, you know, I mean, you had to sell it, you had to, you know, meet your deadlines, you had to do that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you could do that, then what what could you do to make it? special for the readers, you know, to make it right. fun for you, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, really, I, I look back on it now and I go, <laughs> really, I came up with that? I mean, it's just like, that's pretty weird for the you know, for a guy who's new to the business. But <laughs> So you were new to the business and we're, we're talking around the early 70s here and you're just getting sort of into Doctor Strange and then the Defenders and then into Avengers, when you get a signature book like that, and obviously the, the run was so well received, but did you have a lot of editorial oversight or did you feel like I've made it, I can play, I can do what I want. As long as the book is selling, they're going to let me roll with it. How did, well, how that, did that was, work? Well, that was the specific instructions from Roy Thomas, who was the editor. I mean, again, this is, I got to back up, but when when Stan decided he needed assistance, he hired Roy and he hired Denny O'Neill, and he drilled them. They had to sound like him because he said <laughs> everything had sounded like him, and he didn't want to have suddenly new voices in the Marvel universe. And so they got rigorously drilled about that. But when Roy took over, to his credit, he said, "You guys can do whatever you want to do." He said, "I, I." You know, we've got more. It was Marvel was expanding, expanding, expanding. He said, I've got all these books. 
I've got no time to be like drilling the writers in addition to everything else. So his specific instructions were, if you can sell it, if you can make it sell and you can turn it in on time every month, then you can keep doing it. And if you can't do one or both of those, then we'll fire you and we'll get somebody else. That was the entire editorial oversight. So, yes, wow. I, I felt like I could do anything because I was I was meeting my deadlines and the books were selling. So I, I had no constraints in my brain about I can't do this or, you know, it might get weird or editorial. Um, and, and that proved to be true. I mean, Roy never, you know, um, Roy never said, don't do that or do it differently or whatever. When I came to him and said, I want to do the Avengers cross the Avengers defenders thing over the summer where I was going to do both of those books and weave the story between them. He said, you realize if you're late on just one of them, the whole thing will topple over. And I said, I won't be late. And he said, okay. And that was, you know, oh, that's wow. it. That's all, that's all there was. And, and I would just say along those lines, when Steve Gerber and I got together at Malibu later on, the original Malibu approach was very similar. Mm. Uh, it did ossify a bit over time. But Gerber and I were just, we, it was like the lobster or the, the frog in the boiling water or whatever. I mean, we'd gone on, we'd both gone on from Marvel to do other stuff, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait a minute. This is the way that it was. This is the mm-hmm. way it was when we first started. Um, which, you know, we obviously love. Malibu, Malibu seemed to have figured it out, you know. Well, that's yeah. something that we, we discuss here in the, in the podcast a lot is that <clears throat> it seems like today there's, there's a different approach where a lot of the creators feel there are taboo areas. There are areas that must not be discussed, there are areas that must be discussed. There's, there's politics. There's all this sort of thing swirling about. And um, number one, what I noticed in those days reading comics, um, there was no, it, it went everywhere. Anything could happen. It was a wide open field. It was pure escapist fantasy. And that is precisely why it was so compelling to me as it, you know, I, cause I was the, the target. I mean, I was a teenage kid and you know, anything that was fantasy, sci-fi monsters, superheroes, shoot 'em ups, beat 'em ups, you know, whatever it was, I lo- you know, martial arts, loved it. It was great. Did you at any time feel or feel influenced by editorial or even by the culture around you to, well, I'd better include this or not include this? Or did you think, no, if I think it's cool, that's the filter? Well, no, I was aware of social conventions and and politics and all the stuff that was going on around. I mean, but comics, again, I started, it was still under the comics code and it was still on newsstands. It wasn't a specialty item at a specialty shop. They were just sitting there on any street corner. You could buy comics Um, and they were for everybody. I mean, and you, and so you couldn't scare the children, but at the same time you were trying to write stuff that, that college age kids and above would find, interesting right i mean yeah. that was that was part of the of the thing um so 
I never again. There was never any editorial thing. I one thing that I that I regret now, and you know, people can take this the way they want to. But um, I got a letter one day from somebody who said, "Well, there's never been like a real heroic Christian character. Christians mm -hmm. are always shown to be sort of wimpy guys, who, you know." That's just and I said, oh, well, that's yeah. not fair. Well, so I created Firestar, Firestorm, Firestar. I don't remember. <laughs> um, um, to do that. But then later I thought, you know, there's that's the that's the whole right wing ethos is like, oh, we're not being treated fairly. You know, you need to you need to let us have equal space in the whole situation. Um, as far as the comic book character goes, it didn't make any difference. As far as as far as politics goes, it makes a huge difference. But so I was a little I was a little unhappy that I had done that because I'm not sure that you know I'm not sure that it played out well politically. Right. You know. Right. I'm I'm a liberal. What can I tell you? <laughs> but I mean, I can I can create that character. I can I can sure. have my fun and do my and do my do work on that character. But sure. I but that was a case where I sort of thought, you know, I should do this as a you know responsible person. And then I'm not sure that I should have. But, you know. Well, there you know I know, you know there's a few I, questions. Uh, there's a few questions in the chat uh, when you get a chance to get to them. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'll Let's pop them up there for you if you want to. Oh, please. Yes. Um, I collected everything. I collected everything before I became a professional. When I became a professional, everything was given to me for free. Um, <laughs> um, and then after I stopped doing comics, I was I was pretty much done with comics. Um, so I, I'm not going after anything today. And And part of it is, well, two things. One, uh, if somebody comes up to me and goes, man, you really need to read this thing, I go down to the comic book store and it's sold out. If it's that popular, it's not there by the time Can I, I your copy. Right? Um, right. <laughs> and and uh, so, uh, yeah, I... And I'll say one other thing that, you know, may apply to this and also might be interesting to you guys. Um, when I went to the Doctor Strange premiere in a couple months ago, I was sitting next to some guys who can remain nameless, but they're doing comics now. The, the guy that I'm about to mention said he was doing both commercial, I mean, you know, Marvel or DC stuff and also independent stuff. And at one point he said, but I feel like I got here too late. Mm. Everything's already been done. Which was uh, like, that was a weird, you know, I've not heard that concept before. And so I throw that back at you guys. Have you ever, you know, felt like that? or, or That's why know? we have several lines. Yeah. yeah. We have <laughs> so much to do. Are you kidding me? We don't have enough, uh, yeah. don't have enough days. Of We've got our so ideas many stories, no. man. Okay. I, I, so I, I feel like people people are stuck in that mindset, and right. we're the ones trying to pull them out of – the readers pull them out of re picking up the same character mm -hmm. month after month mm -hmm. after month and saying, hey, what about this? It's not, it's not stuck to uh, its past, uh, the corporate – idea of what the story or this character needs to follow 
because we're creating something new. That that that's me, and I don't, okay. I don't know if that's how Roland feels or yeah. Uh, but too. well, I mean, if you guys feel like you're doing something that hasn't been done before, then 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 good. You know, I mean, since I'm not in comics, I'm not in a position to have an actual opinion <laughs> about that. I just thought that was I think you've contributed enough thought, to have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, I just thought there's a guy. That's an, it just an interesting thing for this guy to say to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's defeat before it's even started. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan asks, what are your thoughts on the Doctor Strange movies? And he also asked earlier, what's your favorite comic book movies of the current era? Uh, if you um, have one. Well, I like, I like basically all the, do- all the Marvel movies. I mean, that's an honest opinion. They're fun. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly the way I would have done them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, sure. they're doing good work in their own, yes. in their own situation. So um, I've got, I've got quibbles here or there, some places yeah. where I do quibble, but the Dr. Strange stuff, I think, I think Benedict Cumberbatch looks like Dr. Strange. Oh yes. You know, he really does. looks mm-hmm. great. Yeah, he does. He does. And everybody, everybody knows here that I think that Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. <laughs> yes. Well, and we um, concur. We concur. Uh, I would say his American accent is a little more American than I might think I would be hearing from Doctor Strange. I would think yeah. a little yeah. more. Yeah, it's more British. It, it, no, yeah. but a little more cultured. I mean, just mm. it's sort of a broad, middle-of-the-road American accent he's got. And this guy was a New York doctor, so I kind of see. Plus, he went to Tibet for years and years. I don't yeah. see him being quite that just American. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but I really like the movies. Um, yeah. I thought the first one was really good. I uh, the second one, I thought the fan service in the middle where we introduced the five other characters so that Wanda could kill them. Yeah. It was cool that she killed them, but the movie kind of stopped for 20 minutes while we introduced yeah, yeah. all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. And Strange is still yeah. standing there in that, you know, talking to these guys, and yeah, things didn't move at that point. But I understand why they did, you know, but it's sure. but you know, could have could have done something there. But and I really love the part where he goes through the where he and 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 America go through the different um uh-huh. realities. And the one yeah. where he yeah. turns paint. Where they turned into paint, I'm going, what the hell is that? And then they referenced it later, right? <laughs> so that he had, cool. he thought it was weird too. But I yeah. but whoever those guys were sitting in some, you know, studio in Southern California or Taiwan or wherever the hell they are, but whoever made that yes, earned their money. Paint. That that was, yeah. that was fantastic. <laughs> that was amazing. So um, as know. as the as the co creator of Shang Chi, um, you know, being a child of the seventies, there was a feel to that character. Um, it was very much like the television series Kung Fu. And I have a two part question of this. Number one, were you guys instructed to create something similar to that series? Cause I know Warner brothers on that series, or was that just something that was cool to you that you wanted to create? It was that's the second one. Starlin and okay. I. Starlin and I watched that TV show and really liked it. Yeah, we said, I did too. We want to go. We want to do because I was writing Doctor Strange and I had immersed mm-hmm. myself in Western magic, and the mm-hmm. whole idea of doing Eastern philosophy mm-hmm. was worked for me because it was something new to explore. It was also not right. like anything else I was doing, so I wasn't 
you know, like having to repeat myself or anything. Um, and Starlin, I think, like both the philosophy and the um, um, the marsh, the art possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But so we went to Marvel and said we want to do this book, and and again, it was it was Roy. Uh, who was the editor, who said, I don't see any purpose to this book at all. I don't, there's nothing <laughs> about this stuff. And, and so, but we were kind of, we really wanted to do it. And, and so we negotiated with him and he sort of grudgingly allowed us to do it so long as we put Fu Manchu in it, because to Roy, Fu Manchu was a, a major character. And it, this was a Chinese guy. So here's a major Chinese character. You know, Roy's into the pulp. He's into the forties. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Pulp thing. Sure, um, sure. And uh, and also, Shang Chi had to be half white um, on the TV show. David Carradine had to be half white because ABC right. said you can't do a story about an Asian person. Got to right. have some connection to white people. And Marvel had the same philosophy. And I can't tell you if it was a correct philosophy. Um, I do know that there were parts of the South where Luke Cage was not carried. So, yeah. you know, it's like, I never make of that what you will. But, but we, I so then it. we had to put in. I bought it. I never knew that. Yeah, well, I didn't either. I bought it in Mississippi. <laughs> well, it, was, it was parts of the South, from what oh. I was told. But in any event, uh, when we agreed to do that, Roy agreed to let us do this book. So we did this book and they put it in the most obscure place possible. I mean, it was in episode issue 16 of Special Marvel Edition, which had been a bad reprint book. I mean, it was like, but right after that, Kung Fu as a philosophy, as a concept, just exploded. And it's not because of us. We, you know, we weren't out there long enough to have been the effect. We just were kind of the canary in the coal mine. I mean, we thought this sounds cool. And then it turned out to be extremely cool. But the problem was that Marvel then turned right around and they created Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, they said, we're going to uh, gonna make this bi-monthly book monthly and we're going to add a black and white magazine and we're going to do annuals and we're going to do specials. And I had envisioned a bi-monthly book where I could go through philosophy. And so... You know, after three issues, Starlin bailed, and after five issues and two issues of the black and white, I bailed. Um, and then it was kind of in limbo for a year until Doug Mensch and Paul Glacey figured out what they wanted to do with it. And then it became this really wonderful series under those guys. I mean, you know, a different series, but a real, uh -huh. you know, that run was fabulous. Um Somebody says it had Sergeant yeah. Fury reprints. So yeah, Sergeant Fury uh, re reprints. So it wasn't all bad. No, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't yeah. All bad. Hyper is a Sergeant Fury fan. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, anyway, so um, and and the interesting thing there is at the time it meant nothing to me really putting Fu Manchu in that book, making right. him half white. But of course now uh, right. the star of the movies won't sign any of those books because they're racist. It's like, mm -hmm. well, and I, you know, and I have loved the fact um, that wow. many articles who came out, which came out at the time of that movie said, yeah, Master of Kung Fu created by Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin. Yeah, it was racist. What? What? Swing but a shark and jumping. So you That's get, just you know, ridiculous. 
Well, yeah, yeah. both of those, but but uh, so both of those statements are true, I guess. You know, but uh, they're not connected in in real life. Anyway. Yeah. Well, it was. How how did you think the movie turned out? Because it's it had a different feel uh, yeah. to me. It did. No, I liked I liked the movie, except mm-hmm. for the ending. I, you know, right. I'm sure they're kind of at the point where they want to position everybody. But I, but I, it's like, okay, you were sitting around in San Francisco parking cars, and then you got swept into this international thing where you're fighting dragons in an alternate dimension and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and when it's all over, you didn't have any response to that. You just went back to the bar and amused your friends. It's yeah. like, well, did, didn't that change your life somehow? So well, I, yeah. I thought, you know, and I think that was that. And the whole thing with Wong showing up and saying, you must come, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, that seemed like maybe they kind of tacked all that stuff onto the end. But I don't think yeah. it was a good decision to, you know, I would have this guy have been, have gone through something to have yeah. shown that he went through something. But uh, it was a fun evening at the movies. Yeah, you know, right? sure. <laughs> sure. One of the, one of the more appealing uh, components of the Shang-Chi book as as you guys originally envisioned it and created it was that we learned about philosophy and tradition uh, of the fighting style and also some of the Chinese history and mysticism as we go through the story just like the TV series and uh, that's one thing that was really appealing to me about it and I thought Maybe they went too cosmic for for my taste, a little too powerful. Where I think something like Kung Fu might have worked better, more grounded. But again, you know, uh, I come from that era of watching that original TV series. So to me, that was that type of hero was a more grounded learning about life as he solves problems. Right. Well, we didn't want to just you know copy the TV show. Of course, we not. wanted course to. Not. We wanted to take off you know, in some directions that were suggested to us by the TV show. I mean, we've never, sure. never been shy about saying we, we watched the TV show and came up with this idea, but we didn't sure. want to just do the right. same thing. Right. It turned out good, though. I mean, it was it was powerful. I'm glad the character's doing well. There's another character a lot of people uh, may not know about is the Mantis character. Um, what did you think about their treatment of, of mantis. <laughs> well, that's, that's my biggest, I mean, you're, you're hitting on all the things where I, you know, where I've got a, a bone to pick, but I love uh, it. I love it. Not, yeah. Again, not yeah. to the extent that I, that I don't like going to these movies right. or think that they're not doing a good job, but you know, the only thing in common between that mantis and my mantis is that they're both female. Mm-hmm. Every other distinguishing characteristic is completely different. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I'm like, hmm. on the other hand, I like Palm Clementioff as that mantis. I like those movies. I like James Gunn's movies, you know. Um, uh, so I had a good time at the movies, but I just thought, you know, that was a character that I worked a long time on, was was involved with for a long time. And, and having it changed, I, you know. I understand. I'm, I'm smart enough to know I've paid enough attention 
the last thing anybody making a movie wants is for the original writer to come up and go, well, I would have done it differently, you know? It's like, because <laughs> they have their own, you know, they have their own dynamics, they have their own problems, they have to do whatever they have to do. Um, but I did ask James Gunn why he, you know, changed the character, and he said, well, I needed a character like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and and okay. I do get royalties. I get royalties for her, even though she's not my character anymore. So well, there you go. I mean, I, I there are benefits to the whole thing. Sure. But as a as a creator, I would have liked to have seen, you know, the actual members. But yeah. well, there there have know. been some. There's been some uh, content written about Mantis that possibly she has re-emerged in other stories as other characters, maybe Lorelai, right. maybe some of the other characters that that have similar um, backgrounds or mysterious origins or relationships to extraterrestrials, etc. Do you want to expand yeah. on that that archetype that you carried well, through? Well, that was, that was me being um, playful, whatever, again. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I did this whole thing with Mantis for a year and a half and then went on with the Avengers for another year and a half, whatever. And then I left Marvel and, and got hired to go over to D.C. And, and do the Justice League and Batman. And I went to the San Diego Comic Convention that summer and somebody came up to me and said, does that mean there'll never be any more Mantis? And that made me think, why not? You know, so. Sure. Um, so I put Mantis in the Justice League, but I had to call her by a different name. Mm -hmm. And she's very she's very playful and arch about saying the stuff that will let you know that it's her, but she can't say it, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, well, hell, I'll put Mantis in every book I ever do. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so when I did Scorpio Rose uh, for, for uh, Eclipse... I put her in there and I called her Lorelei. But then, you know, it turned out that sticking Mantis into every book I ever did after that is, is you know, it becomes a little more difficult each time to kind of explain what the heck. So, I mean, that's where I stopped on that road. Um, uh -huh. But I thought it was, again, I thought it was fun to put Mantis in the Justice League. As long as you're having fun, then that's that's, that's a success. All, that's what matters. Yep. <laughs> well, no, you guys have to have fun, too, as the readers. I mean, if, if the right. readers are going, this guy's just tripping out, and it's not, it's not a thing, you know. That's not what I'm shooting for, at least, you know. Um, I want to open the floor up, uh, Scott and Rory, as, as uh, writers. I'm sure you guys have some writer-driven questions for our, Ooh, our yeah. guests tonight. So uh, fire away, my friends. Roy? Oh, yeah. So as a fellow writer, who would you say is the most intolerable to work with? Artists, <laughs> inkers, artists? pencilers, editors? <laughs> um, well, oh, Steve loves his editors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I... You're in a safe place. I've, you know, I mean, I've had I've had tough people in in all of those things. I don't. I. I mean, as a writer, you want the artist to understand what it is you're trying to do. Well, you want everybody involved in the process yeah, to understand yeah. what you're trying to do. But Same I thing. have worked with artists. I mean, um, 
when I was doing Luke Cage, as I'm still very low on the totem pole, um, I would come up with a story every month for Luke Cage, and I would send that to George Tusco, who was drawing it. And George, who was extremely old school, would go, yeah, I'm not feeling it. And I'd get back pages of a story that I didn't recognize. All right. Right? Wow. Um, and I'm not vibing today. I was, I was way down on the totem pole. I couldn't go to Roy and say, you have to fire George Tusco because he's not drawing my stuff. So I learned that you can make anything make sense. I could take stuff... I kept having things that Luke Cage would never do. And I would have to think of a reason why he would do that, yeah. you know, and, and have it sound legit. And, and I've often said that it was good training as a writer to know, like, mm -hmm. you got to get there somehow. And, right. and how is that going to work? But it was not fun, you know, at the time. Uh, and I was doing other books at that time with Luke Cage. I was doing the Hulk and the Avengers and the Defenders. And they weren't giving me any trouble, but yeah. you know, um, so an artist who, who sort of deliberately doesn't do what you ask him to do is, I mean, it's not easy to get past that. I mean, uh, an editor who says, oh, you have to stick this thing in or take this thing out or something like that, that might, it's usually the most important thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so all right. those original drafts, would you keep all those original drafts? Uh, no, I didn't. No. Um, but it, you know, but at least it's like, okay, you've just taken the story and you've done this to it, as opposed mm -hmm. to like the story makes no sense in the first, right? Year, right? <laughs> so um, that's that would be my answer. Artistic types. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thanks. We else. love you too. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're super easy to work with. I mean, it's right. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I would also humanities. Another one along that line is when I did. Um, uh, millennium for DC and had this idea that every book in the line should all be tied together. Um, I made that as easy as possible on people. I just said, you know, just if you could just do this somewhere in your story, you know, we can make that. And everybody, you know, it's like, sure, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot. Except for one guy, John Byrne, who said, <laughs> uh, I'm, not, John's. I'm not doing that, you know, I'm going to do something else. And it's like, wow. Yeah, well, okay. you know, uh, Burns fairly well known for that sort of thing, right? So, um, so that you know that stuff happens. But usually, when you were first getting started, and the editors, as they want to do, would just like the artist, like cut up what you had in mind and change it. Was that difficult? Was that? I've heard multiple authors say you sent it off to the editor, and it's like not the story you came up with. How do you right. get over that? Because usually when you write something, you put a piece of yourself into it. There's some, there's some kind of attachment. Sure. So if they, especially if they get rid of that little piece, it feels like it's not yours anymore. Is it just that getting rid of that emotional attachment? That this is just a business? This is just... Yeah, it's somewhere in there. I mean, there is an emotional attachment, and it is a business, and I get that too. Um, um, yeah, I don't know that I have... That's all. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's, you do this long enough. I mean, it's like you better figure out that it's a business. But you still, yeah. I mean, you don't only you're doing it because you have some interest in it because you have right. some you got some kind of passion for it. What you're trying to get, you know. Yeah, and you want something out of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Oh, oh thank you, Rory. Uh, so, uh, Steve, um, my, my my question is uh, for for anybody just getting started. Uh, I always like to ask this question. Not us. Said, not us. Right, right. Yeah, we're, 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 I'm, I'm well, see, yeah, 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 we're in a sure, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could go back and either tell yourself some sort of pearl of wisdom or, or what would you say uh, to e- either writers or artists? Um, most important, artists. it doesn't need to be one thing. I'm just saying, what would, what, what, are, what's some wisdom you would impart? to someone getting into the industry and trying to succeed? Um, well, I mean, the industry is very different today. I don't know what yeah. the culture is like at Silverline, and I don't really know what it's like at Marvel, but I hear things about Marvel um, and DC. Um, but I I would hope that you would be getting into this because it's something you want to do. You know, it's not like you're just doing it to pay the rent or really wish you were writing novels, but you know, you've got to take this gig to get by, you know, I mean, I would hope that you like comics and that you want to do comics. Um, And then I would hope that you would be given the chance to do what it is that you want to do. I mean, again, I tell people I'm really lucky because of what I said before. I mean, I walked in the door and they said, you can hear, here, have Captain America. Now do anything you want to do with it. <laughs> oh, right? Man. Wow. I mean, wow. That was, that was the deal. So and we so, the Holy Grail. Do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, not everybody gets complete creative freedom. And, mm-hmm. and we had it for a while. Um, and so, I never had to say, gee, is this too much? Should I stop here? You know, it was just like I could let whatever my imagination was doing run its course. And I I also say I was very lucky to have Sal Buscema, a fellow Floridian, um, as my artist on on a number of those books. Because Sal could draw anything, you know? It's like I never had to worry, can this guy draw horses? Can he do hands? You know, whatever. (laughs) like Sal could draw anything. So I was in this position where they said, do whatever you want. I did whatever I wanted. Sal drew it. You know, it's like the, everything just flowed really nicely. That's the ultimate. And so I would hope, um, I hope Roland's listening to this, that um, everybody gets <laughs> complete creative freedom. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but I mean, if you get into it, I hope you're able to like express yourself, you know, and it's possible you can express yourself and the readers could go, we don't want to hear that. And then, you know, (laughs) then you get fired or, you know, whatever the deal is, but, but, you know, I mean, from the same people who said, gee, everything's already been done comes the idea of, I mean, I saw a lot of this in the nineties. I thought, where people go, man, I really liked that thing in comics when I was a kid. I'm going to recreate that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not going to create something. I'm not going to take off in a new direction. I'm just going to, like, hit that same pleasure center that I had before. None of that stuff interests me, you know? I mean, I want to see people doing new stuff. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, I would just say, don't be trying to fit it into somebody else's Bailiwick. But I mean, that's assuming you can get away with that. If you're at a company where they want you to, everybody has to sound the same, you know, or whatever the deal is, then, then 
Roland, Roland runs a tight ship here. He does not allow. <laughs> Boy. He's... Look at uh, right. Yeah. Everything has to run right past. No, uh, Fruit Bat says there needs to be some editorial input. Not huge. Yeah. But yeah. just enough. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, we, we humor Roland. We like. We listen to <laughs> thank, thank you, Roland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm still going to just do it. No, at, it's, it's at the same with at the proofreading level, too. Like anything you're going to write. If it's worth someone else, if someone else is going to see it, someone else has to see it first. It's right. in the editing yeah. level too, because it's all up here. Yeah. And then once it's out there, well, it makes sense to me. I wrote this. Of course. How don't you? Why don't you understand what I wrote? And so, yeah. yes, an editor needs to. Somebody else needs to see it yes. and say, uh, this yeah. this make yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This may make, make sense to you. It all makes sense up here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agent so. Cub says. How does it feel to be the one to introduce the comic industry to Todd McFarlane? <laughs> that was just a weird, you know. I was doing I was doing the book for um, Epic Marvel nice. thing, and I needed artists. And mm. this guy showed me his samples, and I liked his samples. You know, I mean, so yeah, I hired him. I would also say I didn't hire, but I was just sort of handed a young guy named George Perez. I was handed a young guy named oh. you know, um, um, uh, Paul Galassi. I was oh, handed yeah. a young guy named Dean Zachary, right? I mean, yeah. it just a lot of that stuff was hey, just, um, uh, you know, you, you hope that you get to work with guys who are following that path I just mentioned about wanting to express themselves and doing stuff. And, and um, you know, Todd's stuff was pretty weak, whatever, when he started, but it was good enough. And then, you know, he became Todd McFarlane, but yeah. you never really know if people are going to do that. You just, you know, well, if you like them and you can give them a job, then you give them a job. Well, you know, that you, you open the door to these people and look, Look what happened. I mean, it's well, that's what happened to me, right? I mean, Neil yeah. let me in the door, and then it right. turned out that I did whatever I did, you know. I mean, it's it's so I'm all uh, in favor of that. My can I real quick? Thanks, that, my potato. question is about um, uh, that Dean Zachary guy is good, still needs a okay. sergeant rock from him. We can we can work <laughs> on that, hyper potato. So, so Steve, <laughs> you got your foot in the door, and I, I and I'm a, I, I ask all these professionalism questions because I feel like. Um, well, I'm, I've been kind of like, it's frustrating to watch people not, uh, not do the right thing for their career. Um, and they, they kind of like throw it all away. You got your foot in the door, but that's, you, you, that's like, I don't want to say that's, that's the easy step, but that's like the first step. And then after that, that's the important stuff. That's where you really have to shine. Uh, so like, the what who did you, you know do? versus the what you know? No, no, I'm saying it's it's okay. Someone gave you the chance, right? Someone yeah. someone took a chance on you, right? What do you so? And then you saw you had that opportunity, and you kind of I don't know, took you didn't quite take chances, but you said okay, I'm going to give you the chance to draw. Once you had your you know you once you were settled, once you were a name, once you had a um, uh, all those titles under your belt, right? So what do you, what do you say to somebody who, who's been given that opportunity? You just have to do it. I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, as, as as simple as as that is, um, 
I happen, you know, I happen to have a feel for comic books. I mean, it seems like I was able to write a bunch of comic books that people thought these are, you know, these are okay. The but, quarterback can hand you the ball. It's up to the, the running back. Barb, it, there you go. Well, yeah. Barb with the yeah, sports yeah. analogy yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> I got in a comic, so I didn't have to listen to those. Anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to well, you to run it past the goalposts. You, you've been led into the toy, to the room with all the toys. Yeah. Now you have to figure out how to assemble those toys into something that you want to play with. Right. Well, I would just, I would say, um, I did comics because I love comics, and there was never a hint that there would be movies made out of them. Yeah. And yeah. then now, 50 years later, they're making movies out of them, and I'm getting royalties and all that good stuff. And I say to people, I'm just standing there. <laughs> you know, not a bad place to stand. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't scheme and plot to get Marvel movie money later yeah. on. You know, it's just like, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, the world says, "Here, have some royalties. You know, have your name on the screen. All this kind of stuff." And I, and what I honestly say is, I'm just standing here, and 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 that, and then I have to usually sometimes have to usually sometimes add, but I did the work. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's that, kind of the there deal. There it is. It's like there it is. I, it. you know, I did the work that now they want to adapt. Right. So I did do that. But at the same time, I'm just a guy, you know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a demigod. I didn't, you know, just a guy who was in the right place at the right time, who got to do stuff, and then, and, and then, you know, 50 years later, something weird happened. So, I, you do have to do. That. I mean, you have to like, you have to write comics that people really want to read. You have to draw yeah. comics that people really want to see. If you do that, if that's within your skill set, then, then. You know, you should be fine, and 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 it, as you guys know, I mean, it builds, right? I mean, you do something, and then you get another shot, and then if you do that one okay, then you get another shot, and, and um, so it's a simple. I mean, what what did Woody Allen say? Ninety percent of everything is showing up, something, yeah, like yeah. That, right? Sure, that's it. I mean, you want to do comics, then then do some good comics, and yeah. and then. You'll be happy. Everybody else will be happy. You know, maybe they'll question. be making silver line movies in fifty years. Yes, yeah, that'd be nice. Yes, yes. 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 fifty I, years. Yes, I probably won't be here then. But okay. I have a question for Steve. Yeah, is there a dream project or story that you never got to tell? Not really. No. Um, I by re, by being a comic book writer i tended to work on a on a monthly schedule and i would off you know i would sometimes sometimes often um work out some sort of overarching plot for something but usually i like to let the characters develop themselves and take me down roads that they want to go on and all that kind of stuff and so i couldn't say oh next month i'll definitely be doing this because when i write this story it might go in a different direction so I always left myself the flexibility <clears throat> to do that. At the same time, I rarely thought much beyond. And even though, you know, you can look and I've got epics that ran for months and all this kind of stuff. So I had some sort of overall idea. But I, but doing it month by month was how it got done. But your own, um, your own characters, I, maybe? Um, there's, I really, I, no, I, I'm... 
I'm writing very strange. I'm still writing stuff, um, but not for publication per se. I mean, if somebody wants to publish it, Roland, um, you know, that's. <laughs> but yeah, okay. um, let's talk. I did. Yeah. I did. Um, I wanted to do a story when COVID hit, and and I was had much time on my hands, like a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, yep. I'd had this idea. I wanted to do a story. <laughs> I wanted to do a story about a town. You've got like twenty ongoing characters in this town, small town in Northern California, and all these different people with, from all these different walks of life, all having different life stories. And then one day something weird happens and two of them become a superhero and a superheroine. But I don't tell you which ones. Right? Oh, and so oh. so we're doing yep. adventures oh. of these superheroes. But meanwhile, these 20 people are still living their normal daily lives, except two of them have a secret that you don't know which one. And I said, I want to do that. And so I had a lot of time and I did it. And it ended up being, in order to have ongoing stories because everybody's got a story, not just the superheroes. The other people have, you know, there's private eye sure. and there's love sure, stories sure. and there's all this different stuff going on. And they all had to have their own individual stories. And, you know, so it ended up being seven 60 page graphic albums. It takes place <laughs> over the course of a week and it's seven. And and it wasn't, it was a writing kind of, can I do this? Can I make this work? All these different storylines all at the same time, all within this, comic book format of a beginning, a middle, and end, blah, 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 blah. Can I do that? And I did it, and it wasn't until I got done with it that I said, nobody's ever going to draw this. <laughs> 420 pages with multiple wow. characters, right? Hmm. Not, nobody, I, I, even George Perez, at his most manic, would not want to draw that. <laughs> so it's this really cool story that I wrote, but it'll, you know, it'll never appear. Um, I did a so then I followed that up. I wrote a story um, about a guy on the moon in the in, you know later twenty first century when people do go to the moon, but he's like a miner up there. But he gets caught up in this kind of spy story on the moon. So you got cool visuals, you got you know a thing, and that one is actually from what I I have an agent. I've had an agent for a long time for books and whatever else, and and now. Uh, since I'm not connected to any comic book company and haven't been for 15 years, um, he's shopping it around. And, and nice. Um, it's at another company at this point, you know. And we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, but again, it's like if nobody ever buys it, I still it, I wrote what I wanted to write, and mm -hmm. and and I'm and I am thankfully in a position where every once in a while Mr. Disney gives me some money. So it's so I am thankfully in a position where I don't have to like sell this thing or die. Right. You yep. know? Right. Right. Which it's a nice me. place to be, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Nice. You know? yeah. And again, I'm yeah. just standing here. Yeah. I didn't do anything to, to you know <laughs> I'm retired I, well, from the muggle world. I do this for you built the foundation that, that's that, right. that the house the house just appreciated in value. <laughs> Absolutely. I heard a story about Merv Griffin getting a getting a check for royalties yeah. for the Jeopardy do 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 tune oh, yeah. for yeah. for ringtones, and he yeah. called up his agent. Ooh. He said, "What the hell's a ringtone?" <laughs> <laughs> He's getting a check for like a hundred thousand dollars. He has no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's okay. Awesome. <laughs>
I'm not saying no. Just <laughs> yeah. <what? laughs> yeah. Uh, James Davis says, uh, is there a character or group you created for another company that you wish you could purchase the rights for and then self-publish? What do you think that could be? Really, that sounds like <laughs> a really baited question, doesn't it? It does. Uh, <laughs> I, would love to see, I would love to see the Ultraverse come back. I would love to write Yay! Strangers yes! and Nightmares. Yes! And I, and I honestly don't think it's ever going to happen. How um, much would it cost? Not um, sorry. for a while, anyway. How much would it it's, cost? It's Marvel. Well, Marvel owns it. Marvel. <laughs> Disney owns it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and I, the only hope I have is that one day Disney looks in the drawer and goes, "We own all these guys. Why aren't we doing anything for them?" You know. Mm-hmm, but yeah. I mean, I some some of this you guys may know, some of you may not. But three different times, Marvel. Well, let me put it differently. Tom Brevoort came to me in 2001 and said, we're going to bring the Marvel, the Malibu characters into the Marvel universe. I want you to write this book, right? And, and I worked up a plot line. I took all the cool Malibu characters, you know, put them all together. I mean, the, it, was, it was the flip side of what Dean and I were doing in the, in the Nightman thing. Um, I thought... I mean, Nightman split into two characters, and I really mm-hmm. wanted to do a Malibu Nightman and a Marvel Nightman. Yeah. Where they would, at that point, they split. They would start to go off in different directions, and they would soon oh, be yeah. two different guys, except they're the same guy at the start. And and that didn't happen. But that was going to happen. And then, I mean, I worked up a complete crazy how it was going to work. They wanted to know what are the first 12 issues, which I really hate because I just explained I don't like to think. I don't want to get yeah. to 12 and just be checking the boxes. Oh, yeah, I sure. said I was going to do this. Um, but I did all that, and we got that far, and then they said, nope, we're not going to do that. And then there was another time where an assistant editor came to me and said, I'm trying to get the Malibu characters to come back, and I'm going to see if I can get, you know, I'm going to work in the system here and, and you know, just let you know. And three weeks later, I got an email from him, and he said, they told me it was worth my job if I pursued this. Mm-hmm. So uh, Marvel <laughs> really decided that those characters will never appear. And I, and I believe it's because of the contracts, which is that the, the writer and artist get a percentage of the money from the books, mm-hmm. right? That's probably right. And it's been explained That's to me. That's probably right. You know, if they if they said, okay, we'll do Nightman, and and Steve and Dean are going to get some money, the guy okay. writing the X Men would show up the next day and go, I want the same deal, right? And then mm-hmm. they'd have to give it to everybody. So, the the story that you always hear is, oh, there's something in the contract where we can't do this. But I'm sure that it's because of the individual contracts and the and the percentages that would be paid out. Um, so again. Marvel was adamant. Marvel was, I mean, this guy, he was serious. He said, they told me that I would get fired if I tried to pursue this thing. Marvel was adamant that they're never going to go there. Um, Maybe Disney will. But to answer the question, I would love to see, you know, the Ultraverse back in business. Yeah. There were some great books in the Ultraverse. With you there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was Dean's inker for Nightman. Yeah. Yes. The whole time, yeah, I, I was I was getting talks to no. do. Uh, what no, was the what was the the Iron Man like character? Was that prototype? Uh, yeah, prototype. yeah. I, he was talking to me about doing him, and I and, and uh, 
then things fell apart, unfortunately, because I think that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, that was an interesting book. Yeah, yeah it was. That was fun. I got to do a cover for they that, were, Rob. That yeah. was a good. And you know who inked me on that cover was Terry Austin. Oh, Boy, my I was God. Fanboy of Terry Austin. Too. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that's yep. cool. Yeah. I had the yeah, unique that, that, uh, opportunity to, for that, but also to work with uh, Dick Giordano and yeah. Sal Bashima also. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just it was a great time. The Ultraverse yeah, period was the just fanboy. Yeah. The fanboy inside you was going. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, well, yeah. I always said. I mean, this is my understanding, but I mean, when Marvel went bankrupt, they took everybody down with them, and Malibu was the last one to run out of money. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But they did run out of money, and then you know, mm-hmm. Marvel really liked the coloring department. Yeah, the other Photoshop me out. That was pretty cool. <laughs> So they bought them for the coloring department and stuck all the characters in the book. And then all the coloring department guys left. Yeah. We got one, a couple. So, yeah, yeah, we, we got, got them. Them. They all, they all, they all jumped the ship. So, so, so Steve, I don't know if you, 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 uh, you haven't been caught up on that, but you know the coloring department had nothing to do with the purchase, right? Okay, that's what yeah. I understood. But tell me, so. no, yeah, that so, was so, that was the yeah that was the story going around. Yeah, that's the, yeah, and that's it, it. persists still to this day. You can you can Google it I, and find it. That that's that's I what just the said. Is. But but <laughs> Marvel actually did not like the coloring department at all. They they couldn't stand it. Um, they didn't. Uh, the editorial certainly didn't like it. They didn't want to use it. They almost had to be pressed to use it um, because of, of schedules. Uh, the reality is, right, so it, it was, and this, I don't know if it'll make you mad or, or happy, I don't know, but it was simply corporate maneuvering because D.C. had been doing, been yep, they had been, and they have been doing due diligence. I mean, they've been in the offices studying the books, going through the records, you know, seeing, is this a, is this a business that we want to buy? Can we buy this? And they've been doing it for months, right? Well, um, at the time, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but at the time, you know, Marvel was about 40, you know, 45% of the market share. DC was some, somewhere around 30, 35, something mm-hmm. like that. That sounds right. Yeah. And, and, and Malibu was a, a, a solid third, depending on what Dark Horse published that month. Right. Right. If Dark Horse yeah. did Aliens and, or something like that, we were fourth. Right? I remember that. Yes. So we had about a 15% market share at the time, roughly. And if DC had purchased Malibu, that would have propelled the market share higher than than Marvel. Marvel had just gone uh, public. And so if you look at what um, I forget the guy's name, but if you look what their CEO was doing, he was buying up properties. Perlman? Perlman, yeah. And so he was going around buying up properties in, in an effort yeah. to say, look what I'm doing. I'm growing the company. I'm, you know, we're now public. I'm growing it, blah, blah, blah. Well, when everything crashed, what's the first thing they do? Uh, when they, they fired the guy, brought in a new guy. And what does he do? He kills everything. He killed Panini stickers. He killed Heroes World. And he killed, uh, he killed Malibu Comics. It was, it was simply corporate maneuvering. They just tried to Marvel bought us simply to keep us out of the hands of DC. The coloring department, as much as we would like to think it had something to do with it, had nothing to do with it. Okay, that's good. Enough. That's good. Enough. That's that's a cool story. It's an it's a sadder wow. story actually. It is, it a is sadder. sadder. It really yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's just it's just corporate maneuvering. They just 
didn't want it, DC to have it. It certainly makes sense, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It does. Uh, does anyone have any any more questions for Steve? Some of our, our latecomers, Haley or Brent? Um, I got one. I'm not sure he wants to uh, wants to go into because it's a long winded question, and you know we try to be super positive uh, on here. But I, so I don't want you to if it's going to take you in that direction, don't go. So, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wow. so, so, so I've told you multiple times when you and I first started working together. I was uh, I've always been a huge fan of your work and in of the the defenders, the Avengers that period of time. Uh, big fan of that stuff. I love those stories. I love what, what was going on there. I I like a lot of what Marvel did in that, not just you, but a lot of what Marvel did in that, in that era. Shortly after that, Shooter comes in and, and explodes the, the, the DC, I'm sorry, the, the Marvel universe exploded in the sense of sales and popularity. Um, I am a fan of what I hear of what Shooter talks about it's, it's, as far as stories go. His, his uh, I don't, did you ever see his blog, Steve? No. I see, uh, 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 Jim Shooter's got a blog that he did. Uh, he hasn't done it in years, but he did several episodes. But he talks about you know his ideas of what makes a good story, how to do continued story, how to do. Uh, these these kinds of things. What he even goes into some of the new fifty two and talks about why these are, particular issues are bad. So, so you don't need a lot of experience to. You know. <laughs> no, no, but uh, zing, zing, zing. <laughs> so so you were there though when you went from the kind of the, the revolving door of editors in chiefs to shooter. Right. So I guess my question is kind of like, what kind of changes did you see as far as from a writer's perspective from story? Right. I'm looking at what is what what was the focus on story from free shooter to shooter? Well, shooter, I don't know that the stories. Well, there was okay. Let's see what I can come up with here. Shooter. Shooter had rules. Shooter, yes. had, yeah. in his mind, he had figured out how things should be done, and so you had to you had to play by his rules theoretically. When I was when I came back, I had enough clout, you know, and getting me back was a thing and all that. Yeah. Um, that he didn't really lean into them with me, but he had rules like. No sound effects, because really? in real life, you don't see letters flying through the sky. His, his thing was always Ooh. in real life, right? I mean, he came up with that whole t- universe, too, or whatever it was called. Right. Like, like comics are real life. Yeah. You know, it has to be like okay. real life. I didn't um, know the sound effects. And, and <laughs> that's the kind of thing that I didn't really agree with, you know? Yeah. And he, and, but he had another rule, which is... He had another rule that you can't say the word supervillain because in real life, nobody talks about supervillains. And I said to him, yeah, but in the Marvel universe, (laughs) they would distinguish between a guy who knocked off the corner liquor store and Dr. Doom. They would create a word. (laughs) They would create a word for these big ticket guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and when I explained that to him, he goes, okay. And so he, he, 
lost that rule. He gave up on that rule because I because huh. I was able. So that's how I approach Shooter. It's like right. he was he was not the editor that I was talking about earlier who would let you do anything, right? I mean, right. Shooter, <laughs> he, but he let me do basically what I wanted to do. But every once in a while, he would come around and he would go, eh. And the other thing about Shooter um, was that he did tend to turn on people. He'd get, you know, he'd decide somebody was his enemy and, and really go after him. I had heard oh. that before I went back. I saw it happen while I was there. It never mm. happened to me. But yeah. but Ralph Macchio, who is a weasel. <laughs> okay. Shots fired. Um, <laughs> but Macchio told me later, Shooter was just kid. about to come for you. Shooter was Shooter was working his way up, and he was just about to come for you when you left the next time, right? Wow. So it could be that I, you know, that I just dodged a bullet there. And then later I worked for him at Valiant. Right. Um, and and once again ran into his rules. One of his rules that he will tell you how he taught Frank Miller to draw yeah. is that all panels should be shot from a mid-distance. You don't want mm. close-ups and you don't want faraway things. You want the mid-distance because mm. that's how television works. And so that's, you know, oh. how comics are supposed to work. Well, there's so close-ups in TV. And he, yeah, but I mean, he would do stuff like that and you would go, but Jim, but he was, you know, he was... Yeah. Pretty adamant in, mm-hmm. in regards to a lot of yeah. those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I remember like, Mike Zeck saying he he was he just was would rip him a new one on, on Secret Wars. Yeah, he, just, he, he would send art in, and he just he'd make him redo whole sections of the book. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it just drove him nuts. Was he trying to yeah. craft a, a particular style that would be known to him? Sorry, and everything it, was he making a certain style that everyone would recognize as his. Uh, I don't think so because the art did look different depending on who was drawing it. But I mean, that was just one of his overall rules. He had certain storytelling rules that right. he wanted to see done. Right. You know? And uh, and he if, they, if you didn't use them, he made you redo it. So you did use them. Is what I heard. So well, yeah. Uh, and and this is this is a little addendum here. But I did work for him at Valiant, and I was going to do a book called Shadow Man. Yeah. Um, and he said, he got four pages into XO Man of War and said, I don't have time to write this, but would you write it for me sounding like me? Because I believe, like Stan, that every, all books should sound the same, too, right? But if you do this for me, when you write your book, you can write it the way you want to write it. And so I wrote four issues, whatever, of XO, and then came Shadow Man, and I wrote the first issue. And he came to me and he said, I know what I told you, but I can't do it. He said, I can't have a book that sounds this different from everything else. And, and you can tell people that, you know, he says, I, you know, I promised you something and I'm having to go back on it because I firmly believe that that's what I have to do. But, you know, go ahead and tell people. And so over the next 20 years or whatever, it came up half a dozen times. And I would say, yeah, Shooter was a stand-up guy about the whole thing. I mean, he had yeah. these weird rules, and he did this, and he did that. And then, like about, I don't know, early 2000s, somebody showed me, probably his blog, where he said, Englehart was always insubordinate, and that's why I had to get rid of him. 
<laughs> and I thought, God damn it, Jim. I've been telling everybody what a nice character this whole time. Yeah. Oh, no. And now, oh. and now I don't want to take, you know, don't want to yeah. hear that story anymore, I guess, or whatever. So um, Shooter was complicated. And, and yeah. I, didn't, I didn't super enjoy working for him. But it wasn't like the worst thing in the world either, you know. Yeah. I mean, because you knew him by that time. I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of nothing that I just said came as like, a complete surprise, right? Uh, you know, so, um, but I, you know, but I don't, Roland. You said you agreed with him on a lot of his things, and I don't know. But I mean, I, I, I don't know which ones you agree on. But I'm, but I still think, you know, I would say editors are there to like facilitate and so yes. forth, but not to not to put up fences and say you can't go there because you're I, not your people are yeah. not going to be able to like go where they need to go, you know? Well, I mean, certainly Silverline does not need to, they don't all need to sound alike. That's, they no, don't. no. <laughs> they, they don't. don't. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Or look so, alike. Yeah, they don't look I, alike, I can, they don't sound alike. That's not what we want to do. Yeah. I can also vouch for the fact that uh, Roland is much more Roy Thomas than Jim Shooter. <laughs> yeah. As far as, I mean, even, even when Roland has a suggestion, you know, and I typically ignore it, but no, I, I listen to Roland, <laughs> but uh, he's very, very fair. And it, when he has a point, you know, he has a point and, okay. and he's easy to work with. So, well, I'm just you know. saying, I hope, you know, I, I'm glad. Good. Cause yeah. if a guy's got, limits on what you right. can do. Right. You know, I mean there may be there may be a reason here or there on this particular thing why you have to do this, that, or the other thing. But I I think everybody should roam as free as they possibly can. You know you've never had any yeah. editorial input Free-range on Divinity. <laughs> I had a little, yeah. Barb, because your stories are so good. Ro- there's a comment there, Roland. I don't, I, uh, Dean. Which one here? What, uh, they met Roland at Three Rivers, uh, which was just oh, last oh, weekend, we which go. was a blast. Ooh. Rory and Roland and I were there in Pittsburgh. Uh, yep. They finished Trumps. Uh, did you see that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, What's up, Tacoma? Yeah. And I yeah. just wanted to let yeah. you know I thought it was great. So It was a blast. Thank you so much, Tacoma. Thank you, Tacoma. We had a, like, Rory and I had a comment, too, about our comic, so so. It was cool. It's fun. Cool. It's fun. Nice. It was a great Very weekend. Nice. Very nice. It was a lot of fun. I'm going to probably um, wrap this up pretty yep. soon, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. We're, oh, oh, we, we right. usually we, end at, eight, at the, uh, the we, half we, hour. So We yeah. end up okay. at 8.30 anyway. We want to uh, give our heartfelt appreciation for you spending time with us tonight, Steve. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure. Yes. As always, brought back Love a lot it. of memories. Let's give let's yes. give Steve a hand. Right here in your Round of applause. Thank you, Steve. Steve, everybody. And as we close out, we always like to close out the same way uh, before we roll the closing bumper. And we like to say something along the lines of. Make Hi, I'm Greg Horn. Make mine silver line. Thank you for listening to the silver line podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.